morning. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, and it's on page 1034 of your Bibles. Pew Bibles. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thank you, Laura. Didn't she do a great job? Now, I, I do want to say that, and this will embarrass my wife a little bit, but if my wife is willing to read scripture, everybody here should be willing to read scripture. Because uh, I'll tell you, about six years ago, I was the worship leader at this church, and I was there late. It was like 11.30 at night, just getting some of the stage set up. There was nobody there in the church anywhere. And I asked my wife if she would just test one of the microphones for me, and she was terrified. There wasn't even anybody there, and she was absolutely terrified to use the microphone. So for her to come up here and read scripture, babe, is that enough? Am I embarrassing you? Sorry. No, but we, uh, one of the things you may have noticed is that we're, we're, we're asking various members of the church to, to read scripture, that we do this together as a community, and we want it to be something that we can all participate in. We're not going to force anybody to do it, uh, but we want to just encourage you that it's a great way for us as a community uh, to participate and, and be in this together. So, again, thanks, Laura. And to thank, thank you to all of you. I know that there are many of you who have read uh, who maybe uh, got a little bit pushed into it, but we're really grateful for that. Um, well, I wanted to just say today we are kind of in, in an in-between transition between two series. We finished, last week we finished our series on the book of Jonah, uh, where we looked at the unstoppable, incomparable, available, and unquestionable compassion of God. That's what that whole series was about. And, and next week, we're going to start a new series, and that new series is called Seven Ways to Miss Out. And we've got a, a sign here. This is Seven Ways to Miss Out. And what we're going to look at is seven ways, uh, seven ways in which we tend to live our lives, seven paths that we often go down that will cause us to miss out on life. These are seven paths that historically the church has recognized as paths which we often pursue willingly or unwillingly. We find ourselves going down these paths, and these are paths that will cause us to miss out on life. And these seven things are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, anger, envy, and pride. 
more commonly known as the seven deadly sins, what we're going to see is that these are seven ways in which you can live your life, seven paths that we often go down and and increasingly go down and get ourselves stuck in that will ultimately cause us to completely miss out on life. And so next week, I'm going to do an introduction to that series, and then we're going to spend another seven weeks just looking at each one of these paths and how they can cause us to miss out on life. So that, that's starting next week. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. And in light of the party that we're having, the picnic that we're having uh, after the service today, I wanted to ask, this, ask us this question. And that's the question of what kind of a church are we called to be? If we were to choose... There's a lot of different words you could use, a lot of different aspects of what a church should be like, but, but I want us to think about what kind of a church uh, we should be, and I, I hope that you will come, I hope each of you will come to the picnic after the service at the Martin's house, and actually, I'll make this very easy for you. If you're not sure where it is, here's what you do. You get out of your car, you turn left on Rivervale Road, you with me? Left on Rivervale Road, there's Rivervale Road, there it is, it's right there. Turn left on Rivervale Road, go through the traffic light, and then it's about a mile from here, you're going to turn left on Ivy Lane. Left on Ivy Lane, and the address is 107 Ivy Lane. It's right there. It's just a few minutes from the, uh, from the church. So we encourage you to go there. We'll make sure that you can, ident- you can see which house it is, but just please, we hope you can come. And I hope that you will come, not simply because it's going to be a great time, but because I think it also functions as a living parable for what the church is supposed to be like. It's a living parable for what the church is supposed to be like. And we see this when we look at this passage today. We see that Jesus tells a parable, and it's a parable in which he is talking about the kingdom of God. And what kind of an image does he use to describe the kingdom of God? A party, a banquet, a celebration. That's the kind of imagery that Jesus uses when he's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, uh, the particular point Jesus is making in this passage within the the context of the narrative flow of the book of Luke, he has something very specific which he wants to highlight. And and what he wants to highlight here is he's basically saying that the religious people of his day are failing to recognize that God is in their midst. Jesus has shown up. God has come in the flesh, has come to them. God is standing before them. And they don't recognize it. He is inviting them to come and join the kingdom of God, that he is inaugurating it, and they don't seem to recognize it. They seem to be too distracted by other things. No doubt if we probe deeper, we would find that they're probably distracted by their lust and by their gluttony and by their greed and by their sloth and by their anger and by their envy and by their pride. No doubt if we probe deeper, we might find that that's what is distracting them. But he's inviting them to come in, and they're not coming in. And so what does he do? He invites other people. He turns from the the church religious people who who seem to be too distracted, and he turns to other people and he invites them in. He invites those who were not originally part of the people of God. He opens it up for them to come in. So what we notice is that through the disobedience of the religious people, it opens up the way for those outside of the religious circle to come in. Does that sound familiar? We saw the same thing in Jonah. Through Jonah's disobedience, God's blessing came to the pagan sailors. And so we, we see this theme coming over and over again, right? That, again, that God, not even God's church can stop God's compassion from reaching the world. So that's the particular point that he's making in this passage. But if we pull back, 
pull back from the trees and get the forest, we see this picture that he's comparing the kingdom of God to a party. Now, if this was the only place in the Bible where we found this, then it probably wouldn't be that significant. But what actually what we discover as we look through the Bible is that this is a very common image that the Bible uses to describe the kingdom of God, to describe the kingdom that is to come. Let me just read for you a couple of, a couple of verses that talk about this. In the Psalms, Psalm 36, verses 7 through 8 says, How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Let me turn to Isaiah chapter 25. says this, On the mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich, a feast, excuse me, Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. We see this image over and over again. It compares the kingdom of God to a party. We find this again more in the Gospels. We'll turn here. Jesus says in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 8, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel we're looking at this morning, and, and in the chapter that immediately follows the one we're looking at today, we find Jesus telling three parables about the kingdom of God, three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, and it's all about how uh, they, they look to seek something out that is lost, and when it's found, what is at the end of each of these parables? A celebration, they throw a party. We come to the book of Revelation where it paints a picture of the age to come, this day when God will renew and restore all things. And, and, the, and Revelation uses this imagery of, of, of Christ being the groom and, and the church being his bride and them being united, heaven and earth coming together like a, a groom and a bride coming together in union and marriage, coming together and. And then it says, the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So we see over and over again this imagery of a banquet, of a party, of a celebration. And so if we ask ourselves, what kind of a church are we to be? We're to be a partying church. We're to be a partying church. We're to be a church that's just, that's just known for its joy. And it's just known for celebrating. Again, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating what God has done. The parables of the the, the three lost parables. It's all about how that which was lost is now found. That which was lost was sought out. And in each of those images, it's God that is seeking out that which is lost. If you are here today, I want you to know something. That God is seeking you out. He's pursuing you. That moment when you, you come to think, I think I've found God. He's found you. He's coming after you. And, and, and the heart of the gospel is that when you realize that God is pursuing you and he's come to pull you out of a life that is meaningless, a life in which you're missing out because you're consumed by your lust and your greed and your anger. I'm, just pre, I'm already starting the next series. I can't wait to get to it. He tries to pull you out of that. He's pulling you out of all of these things in which you're missing out on life. He's offering you what life really is. He's offering you freedom. 
from a life apart from him. Freedom from a life in which we pursue so many other things. that We think it's freedom. We think that the freedom to pursue all kinds of different things is freedom, but it actually turns out to enslave us. So the gospel is that he's come to free us from these things that enslave us. And, and that's why, you know, I, I've been thinking what, what kind of an ethos should, should uh, be a part of the very nature of our, of our church and our community. And just thinking, I think something like the 4th of July. The 4th of July is just, you think about it, it's just this day in which you just celebrate. And, and you've got loud fireworks. I mean, it's loud. It's, right? It's loud and it's boisterous. I mean, it was, it's actually too loud. My, my daughter pretty much spent the entire uh, day with her hands over her ears. It was a little bit too much for her. It's just a time of celebration. and You throw a party and you have people over. And you just know that the atmosphere I think that's, that's the atmosphere which, as a church, we're seeking to cultivate, that when people look at the church and, and, and how we do everything, that it has that sense of celebration and joy of partying, that we, we should just be known as a partying kind of people. So I want to highlight three ways in which we're called to be a partying church. Uh, we're called the party at church, we're called the party at home, and we're called to take the party to the streets. We're called the party at church, we're called the party at home, and we're, we're called to take the party to the streets. First, we're called the party here at church. That when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we should think of this as a celebration of the party. This is a time to rejoice. This is a time to celebrate what God has done and, and, and to sing out, right, to sing out. You know, when you're, when you're really filled with joy, even people who don't sing, sing. It's true. Uh, you know, when, when people are filled with joy, they all of a sudden become musical. I mean, we all know, like, the guy who, he, he never picked up a guitar until he met some girl, and now he's, like, writing songs all the time. Like, where did this even come from? See, when we're filled with joy, even people who don't sing, they, they, they sing. And, and, and so joy and singing are intimately connected. Actually, uh, in, in the book of Psalms, I actually had to type them out because it was just going to take too long. There's something like 36 times in the Psalms Joy and singing are linked. Joy and singing are combined 36 times. I'm not going to read all 36 of them to you, but I'm just going to highlight a few. Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 33.1, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Psalm 33.3, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalm 67, 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 81, 8. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Psalm 84, 2. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the land. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Psalm 95, 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Shout joyfully to the Lord. All the earth break forth and sing joy and sing praises. Sing and shout for joy. Look, even if you can't sing, shout. Shout. Shout, sing. Shout, sing. When I was in college choir, that was, no, we didn't do that. College choir, cool air breath. Like you're taking a bite of an apple. Forget cool air breath. Forget using your diaphragm. I mean, no, I'm not really, I don't mean, I just mean, don't worry about it. Sing out, even if you can't sing. Shout for joy that this is, this is a time of, of 
celebration. We're going to be a church that, that parties when we come to church. And of course, if it's a party, well, if it's a good party, what do you do? You invite people to the party. You invite people to the party. We, we find Jesus doing this, right? At least in the, in the parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Right? I mean, imagine if you throw a party and, and you, you, know, you go to the grocery store and you spend all of this time getting, all, getting the menu right and, and then you, you, know, you, you, you come home and you clean the house and you set all the tables up and the special china and all this kind of stuff and, and then you don't invite anybody. Friends, I would encourage you, let's invite people. Let's let them come and be a part of, of what this is all about. And, and, and I think there's something important here. When we invite people to come, um, we can't just invite them. We need to persuade them. We find this here, if I can remember which verse it is. We find this here. He says, yeah, verse 20. Here we go. Verse 21. No, verse, where is it? Oh, there it is. Okay. I read it in a different translation, so I was looking for a different word. Verse 23. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. Isn't that interesting? Invite people to a party and make them come in. Uh, it is a word that can be used to mean to really compel somebody to come in. Probably, again, Jesus is using his classic uh, hyperbole uh, that he often uses. Um, and so what he's really saying is, uh, you're going to need to persuade these people to come in. And we've got to understand what's going on here, because when he's saying go out into the country roads uh, and, and find, what he's talking about is that in that culture, the people that would have been on the outskirts of the community these were the outcasts. And so they were people that, uh, well, the way it worked, actually, because you notice he's telling them to invite the poor and the crippled and the lame. And in, in that culture, it wasn't simply a matter of being poor or crippled or whatever it was. It's, it was the social stigma that was attached to that. Because in that culture, they had come to believe that if you were poor or sick or whatever, that it was a sign of God's judgment on you. That God was punishing you. So if you were sick or lame, it wasn't ba- it was bad enough that you're sick or you're crippled. But then also everybody separates. You're, you're, not ex- you're excluded from the community. Of course, we see Jesus, what is he doing? He's completely turning the tables, as he so often does. The people who think they're in, he's saying, look, you're not even interested. And the people who were not supposed to be in, I'm welcoming them in. Right? That's getting back to what his main point is in this passage. But what we see here is, is this idea that the people that they're inviting, that they, yeah, they're not so sure they'd fit in. Of course, the things are, it's not exactly the same. It's not the same dynamic now. But basically what he's getting at is that the people you're going to invite, they, they may not really feel like they're going to fit in. And the point is for us, if we pull this into our culture today, what we need to realize is that we want to let people know they really are welcome. Because there are all kinds of, of people who, I, I remember I had a, a teacher in, in college, we would joke, he said, oh, if I walked into a church, I'd burn up. And there's a lot of people, they feel like, I can't, you know what, I can't, I just wouldn't fit in there. 
they would look down on me or I just wouldn't even fit in culturally. And so we've got to try to persuade people, say, no, look, we really want you to come. Are you going to be challenged? Yes, you're going to be challenged. Might you be challenged in the way you're living your life? Yes, but so are we all. We all are. You're not going to be any different if you're being challenged. We all are. If we all have the humility to recognize that that we don't have it all figured out, well, then we're not any different than them. We say, yeah, you're going to be challenged, but we want you to come. We welcome you. So let's continue to be a church that really looks to make people feel welcome and to encourage them to come. Let's invite them in. Hopefully I can find the verse this time. It's the same verse. Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. You know, it has been, uh, it's been exciting over the last couple of years to see our church grow. And, of course, this is the summertime, so a lot of people are gone right now. But as we all know, we, we've seen in the last couple of years this church begin to fill. and more people coming in, but, but, but there's still room. <laughs> there's still room. So let's invite people and let's invite them to the party here at church. We need a party here at church, and we need a party at home. If we're going to be a church that embodies the kingdom of God, that when people look at us and how we live, they get a glimpse of the kingdom of God, they get a glimpse of the age to come, we need to be a partying church, and we need a party in church, and we need a party at home. And here's where we can take this parable more literally, and that's simply this. We need to be a church that throws parties. We need to be a church that that celebrates. And, and, and actually, um, what's interesting about Jesus tells this parable. This is incredibly awkward if you read the context here. Jesus tells this parable about the, the party while he's at a party. And actually, he, in the verses that immediately precede this, um, he, he, actually, uh, he actually tells them how to have a party. right? So this is literally Jesus telling somebody at a party how to have a party. That's awkward. It's almost like, okay, I see how you did it, but this is how you should have done it, right? And we're going to look here in a minute on what he says. But this whole, uh, we can take this not just as a parable, but literally, we should be a community that throws parties. And so, obviously, I'm incredibly grateful to uh, the Martins who are volunteering their house to have this party for our church. We didn't ask them. They actually came to us and said, we would love to be able to do this if, if this would be something that would work well. For our church, and so I, I want to encourage all of us to consider. You know, can can we throw parties? Can we, we don't look. Not every single one of us needs to have sixty to hundred people over to our church, uh, over to our house. But here's what I would like for us to try to cultivate, and that is a is a culture of celebrated togetherness. Celebrated togetherness. That we're just a community that, that looks to just celebrate together and. And so what I would want to challenge, just kind of give you this basic challenge, is I would encourage every single one of us to consider having somebody over to your house for dinner once a week. Let me say that again. I would encourage us to have somebody join you for dinner once a week. Join you for dinner once a week. And that's different, actually, than having somebody over for dinner. This is something that I shared with the at one of the leadership uh, sessions that we had a few months ago, is the difference between having somebody over for dinner and having somebody join you for dinner. Having somebody over for dinner means that you, you treat that time as something very special and different than normal life. You have somebody over for dinner, what does that mean? It's a special occasion. 
Of course, well, what does that mean? Well, that means now, what does that mean? You, you, you kind of amp things up a little bit. So, you know, instead of just wiping the counter, now you scrub the stove. Uh, in, instead of sweeping the floor, maybe you mop the floor. Uh, instead of using your, your plastic non-matching uh, cups, you break out your fancy china or your, your nicer dishes or something like that. And having people for dinner is a wonderful thing to do. Especially if, if you feel wired with the gift, the gift of hospitality, that's something you really get joy out of. Well, then, then more power to you. Go for it. Do that. If that's your thing, you should do that. But I think the reality is for a lot of us, that, that can become a chore. Right? That's not even all that necessarily. Maybe you can do it every once in a while. But wait a minute. If, if I had to do that every week, that would just become a chore. And so this is why I suggest rather than having people over for dinner every week, have people join you for dinner. And what that means is that you don't do anything different than you would normally do, except for that you ask other people to join. Maybe you, you know, an extra cup of rice. Uh, maybe you have a frozen pizza that you keep downstairs and you can just kind of throw in there. Maybe you get out a, an extra bag of chips. Maybe you ask them to bring something something with them. But you don't actually do anything different. You actually just ask them just to join you. And you see, this takes, this, this takes the pressure off. But some of you are thinking, no, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't take the pressure off at all. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I don't want people to see what my house looks like on a normal day. That sounds like terrible pressure. All right, so this is the moment where I preach the gospel to you. Your worth and your value is not in what your house looks like. That's not where your worth and your value is. If you're unwilling to have people at your house because it doesn't look a certain way, I might suggest to you that that's an idol. Your worth and your value, it isn't in what your house looks like. It doesn't matter what people think of what your house looks like. Your worth and your value is the fact that Jesus loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done. See, when you, when you get the gospel, that one of the things that you realize is that it is significantly more loving to invite somebody over to a messy house than to not invite somebody over at all. It's significantly more loving. So let's try to create a culture where, where we don't just have people over for dinner, but we ask people to join us in the things that we're already doing. It doesn't add anything to your schedule. It doesn't add anything to what you're doing. Just have them join you. Let's, let's create a culture of celebratedness. Now, again, if you're going to have a party, you've got to invite people. And the question is, who do we invite? Who should we invite over to our, to our church? Who should we invite to our, to our homes? And again, Jesus tells us exactly who, whom we should invite. If we go back a few verses, verse 12, this is incredibly awkward. Jesus is at a party, and he says to the host, this is how you should throw a party. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, are you ready for this? Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives. Are you serious, Jesus? 
when I throw a party, I'm not supposed to have my friends and my family, my relatives. Is he really saying this? Well, on one level, no. This is classic Jesus hyperbole. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Really? No, but you should take sin seriously. If your right hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. Really? No, not really, but you should take sin seriously. Really, I shouldn't invite my friends and my family? No, but you need to take seriously. And here's where we've got to take this at a couple of different levels. At one level, all Jesus is saying is, is that you need to step out of your comfort zone. At one level, he's just saying you need to invite people, and, and you need to invite people out of your, certainly out of your little religious community. Again, this functions at a number of different levels. At one level, it's really just the religious people and the non-religious people. And at one level, he's simply saying, you need to get outside of your little religious community. In other words, don't just invite your friends and your church friends over. Invite those outside of your church family. And this is where I want to encourage us. One of the things that I think we need to do as a church is to merge our worlds. Merge our worlds. You see, we have a tendency... We have a tendency to, to kind of uh, separate our lives. So you've got your work friends and your whatever friends, your high school friends maybe, and then you've got your church friends and your family, and never the two shall meet, right? Sometimes you might have a party for your, your work friends or whatever, your neighbors, and then another time you'll hang out with your church friends. We need to merge our worlds. We need to bring them, we need to bring them together and and. And the reality is some of us might say to ourselves, well, I don't know. Some of my church friends knew some of my other friends. They wouldn't like him. Well, then we just need to get our acts together, and we need to be more welcoming. Right? we got to be people. you got to be able and willing to bring people that you think your church people might not be comfortable with. We need to be comfortable. We've got to be comfortable with messy. We've got to be comfortable with people who maybe disagree on really crucial and fundamental things. and we, we need to be able to deal with that and to handle that well and to love and to be able to get along with people who think differently and act differently. We, we need to work on that, right? So we want to be able to invite people even into our homes that, that maybe some of our religious people are going to disagree with. Of course, on the other side, some of them might be like, well, actually, I'm, I'm not sure that my, uh, my, my, my work friends would like my religious friends. I don't know about. Well, then we just need to learn to be nice. And, and to love them, you know what I'm getting at. We need to be a kind of people that we, we can welcome those who aren't a part of our community and, and, and we can say, yeah, I, I, it, it wouldn't be weird if I brought these two together. I want to encourage us to merge our worlds, to open up our homes and to bring these together. You know, one of the things that I want to encourage even our community groups to do is that oftentimes what our community groups will do, and this is a good thing, like my community group is having a celebration soon to celebrate uh, the Luces who are leaving. I shouldn't have said that now. Everybody's going to be thinking about that. Um, and we're having a celebration for them, and, and it's kind of a close to our time as a community group. And, and you need that time together as a group. But what I also want to encourage our community groups to begin doing is to consider having times of celebration where you invite other people. And make that a regular thing that you do. Start inviting other people to be a part of what you're doing. So we need, to, we need to merge our worlds. We can't just invite our friends and our family. Right? So on one level, that's all Jesus is saying, right? 
But on another level, we have to take this very literally. And that's where not only do we take the party at home, but we need to take the party to the streets. In other words, we need to take very seriously Jesus' call to reach out to those who are in need. You see, in in Jesus' day, um, just the way life was, the the way that the towns were set up and the homes were set up, everything was much more fluid. The homes were much more open. And there also wasn't nearly as much of a separation um, in terms of economic uh, status. Like in our modern world, Everybody, the poor people are quarantined into certain areas. And you've just got different pockets of, of different levels of wealth. And so you might, you might go your whole life and never really run into poor people. Now, the truth is they're actually much closer than you realize. But, but by and large, see, in Jesus' day, everything was so much more open. And so literally you'd be having a party and there would be a, a poor person just sitting on the street. So you'd invite him into your home. That's not the way, by and large, it's not the way it's set up for us. Obviously, if you have somebody in that situation, invite them in. But for most of us, what this means is we can't just party in the church and we can't just party at home. We have to take the party to the streets. We have to go out to them. And this is the reason for these Love Your Neighbor initiatives, which we have been pushing this summer. And I want to encourage you, these Love Your Neighbor initiatives... These are just a, a sample of the kind of thing we as a church want to try to do. And I'm, I'm just going to push and highlight these for us again. This coming uh, August 3rd and 5th, we have an opportunity to sew backpacks for children in Liberia. It's not likely that you're going to find a Liberian child uh, sitting on the, on the sidewalk while you're having dinner. It's probably not going to happen, so we're going to have to take the party to the streets. So I encourage you to come out uh, August 3rd through 5th. You can pick any one of these nights from 6 to 9. Come and sew a backpack uh, for a child in Liberia. That's one of the ways in which we can bring the party to the streets. Our, our community garden, I would encourage you uh, to sign up. As you can see in the bulletin, you can come out in August. And after church on Sunday, come and pick the, pick the produce and, and use it to give um, to your neighbors. Uh, if you know of somebody who's struggling, use it for that. We have, there are other... Um, Avenues in which we're hoping to distribute uh, through Meals on Wheels, through uh, the food pantry, through the senior center. Right? These are just ways in which we can do this. Uh, at, my, at our community group on Friday night, we lead a couples group, Friday night community group. And it was great because we just sat around for about 20 minutes and we brainstormed all the ways in which we could look to reach out to our community. Because one of the things that I'd like to see our community groups do... We, we, we've been in our, had our community group movement going for about a year and a half now. And what I'd like for us to see is that we're starting to build some good community in these groups. But now what we need to do is start to turn it outward. And so one of the things that I want to encourage our community groups, particularly the ones that have now been around through a number of phases, is we really want to encourage us to, to, to set a benchmark and to say, look, we as a community group are going to look to do something to serve in our community. And I made the challenge to, our, to this Friday night group to say, once a month, let's look to do something where we serve our community. And maybe, maybe that week, we, we don't meet and study, but instead we go out and do something. And we brainstormed all kinds of ideas. We, we, we thought of uh, one idea was going and partnering with a ministry called Bridges, where you go around to the different bridges in the area where a lot of homeless people live. And you can partner with this organization that goes and takes food to them. And you can share a meal with them, and you can just visit with them. That's one thing that we considered. 
Uh, we talked about even something like uh, taking the, the volunteer fire department and wanting to bless them, saying, we just want to bless you for what you're doing, and, and we just want to have a party and invite you to come and be a part of, of what we're doing. You see, there are all kinds of different things that we can do. We, we thought about maybe a community group could take one of the senior centers in our, in our community and just say, that is our, those are our people. And so we're just going to seek to build relationships with those people, whether it's here in Westwood or the Care One facility in Oradell, and just say, you know, we're, gonna, we're just going to say that's our, that's our ministry, and we're going to try to bless those people. We're going to try to get to, to know them, and, and maybe there are individuals there who don't have a lot of family around, and so, so we're going to look to bless them and throw a party for them and, and just try to reach out. And, 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 and what I would encourage you to do in your groups is to brainstorm. And I think what you realize as you start to do this is that there are lots of ways in which we can serve this community. And it's way better when you do it as a group, when you do it as a community. And so this is something where I really want to push our church to move from partying at church partying at home to taking the party to the streets. And I know that you might be thinking to yourself, that is a great idea, Kevin, but that is not partying at all. And that doesn't sound like partying. That sounds like serving. At the very heart of the gospel is that serving is partying. What if serving really is what it means to party? What if the real party animals in this world are the ones who serve? Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. What if serving is actually the path to what it really means to be a part of the church? Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you. That you are a God who has pursued us. That when we were lost, when we were crippled, when we were lame, when we were poor, God, you came for us. And God, you are a God who has tremendous joy, who finds great joy in seeking out those who are hurting. God, I pray that we would find the same joy as we seek to celebrate what you've done and to take what you have done into this world. We pray this in Jesus' name.